I'm not going to be afraid of my own shadow. I'm not going to be afraid of my own fear. I'm not going to be afraid of the things that I don't know. Or if I am, I'm not going to allow the fear to stop me. I'm going to work with the fear as part of everything else. Prophecies have foretold, and wisdom keepers all know, that the rise of the feminine will restore balance to our world. In this podcast, we are on a journey to understand the root of the imbalance that has caused disconnection and dysfunction within our humanity, so we can emerge as leaders, creating a new story on Earth. I'm Lauren Walsh. And I'm Shayna Connors. With humble hearts and open minds, we will converse with spiritual teachers, historians, psychologists, revolutionaries, leaders, and healers to navigate these evolving times and reintegrate the feminine history that we have forgotten. Welcome to the Time of the Feminine podcast. Hello, and welcome back to the Time of the Feminine podcast. This is Shayna. Today, we have a super exciting interview for you today with Alana Fairchild. This woman has been a guide and mentor for Lauren and I for many years, before we even knew her. We got introduced to her work through her Oracle deck, specifically the Mother Mary and Sacred Rebel Oracle deck. This woman is so hard to encapsulate into words. She is a spiritual teacher. She is a mystic. She is a channel. And she's a world bridger. Having left her career in law, she now is on the path of opening herself to provide the messages of the divine feminine to all that seek. She has created over 20 Oracle decks, 13 books, 27 albums of music and meditation, so many online courses, and her work has been translated into 11 languages. I know that she has touched the lives of so many women in our community, and I hope she continues to. It is such an honor to have her on the podcast today, and I can't wait for you to experience her wisdom. Her wisdom is really powerful. And we encourage you to listen to the entirety of this episode because there are some gems. We go really, really deep. We go into rage. We go into fear of death. We go into the dark goddess. We go into the multi-faces of the divine feminine and how we as women who are initiates into our spiritual development and to relating to the divine feminine can walk in these times. And she gives tools for navigating all of this change and all of this chaos. And she does it in such a light, sparkly, super embodied, integrated way. And it's so refreshing and so powerful. And we're so moved. So enjoy this episode. We can't wait. Alana, it is such a pleasure to be with you here today. I know that when Lauren and I first met you on this call, I was just overflowing with gratitude to be here with you because your decks have provided so much guidance in my life and also for the mission of global sisterhood. And so it's just such an honor to be with you here today. Thank you so much. It's really beautiful to be here with you both. And I loved the way you expressed your mission and what you're about. It just really touched my heart. I could feel the depth of what you're wanting to bring through. And I'm, I'm just honored to be part of it and to, to be part of that movement. Thank you. It's definitely a labor of deep, compassionate love and surrender. And devotion. <laughs> devotion in its truest form. <laughs> so Alana, I 
It's funny because I'm I have so much emotion speaking with you because the energy that you connect with is so pure. The way I receive it is so it's like this pure innocent love. And I'd love to hear about your journey and how you got here. Like if this was something you felt as a child, if this connection was real for you then, or what journey you had to go on to to get to this place. I've always felt this deep sense of what that spiritual love, that pure love that you describe and that connection, I've felt it since I was a child. I think my struggle was then dealing with the shock of the world, (laughs) you know, the shock of encountering the systems of fear and control and oppression and grappling with that as a young human. I really struggled for a long time, especially as a little girl. As you get older, you start to be able to process, to understand why people do the things that they do and, and the wounding that is behind it. And for me, most of my early life, until relatively recently, it's probably still ongoing, but it was very much an initiation of sorts. It was kind of a, you know, in the trenches training as to what was actually needed because I had that heart connection within, as many of us do. We sense that divine love and that beauty and then can be quite struck by the incongruence and the dissonance that we encounter when we attempt to live that and express that and find that, you know, it's not always really well understood, uh, respected or able to be received or, or even really acknowledged in the world. So I think this is the, the birthing place for the work. We suddenly go, this is beautiful what I have inside of me. This is amazing what's in my heart and and what I feel from the divine realms. And I want more people to feel this. So for me, it was a little bit about honoring the truth that I had within, recognizing that that wasn't widely understood or accepted in society, and then figuring out, okay, what do I want to do about this? Mm. You know, do I want to run and hide from the world altogether? Or do I, <laughs> do I, you know, meditate in a cave? Or do I want to try and find a way to communicate and share with the people that I know will get it? Mm-hmm. And then they can feel, like, oh, yeah, this is the thing. And then we kind of recognize that we're part of this sacred ecosystem and we can share and connect and create and hold the space together because we can't do it on our own. It has to be done in that divine communal connection. I can deeply relate to everything you're saying. And I'm feeling in my heart the experience and the insecurity of growing up seeing something that felt like other people didn't see or experiencing something that was hard to talk about or may have been seen as not real or woo-woo or any of those things. And I think about you and I think about all the women, the young girls that come so connected and learn to turn it off and I want to know if you ever went through a journey of doubting yourself, turning it off, and then beginning how you began to trust and then speak that like to really come out of the closet and share your connection so vulnerably and so purely. Yeah, I really did. It probably hit a kind of a deep point for me of, of deep struggle and feeling that in order to pretty much earn the acceptance and the love and the acknowledgement of sort of society, family and friends around the time when I was entering my teenage years and going through schooling. That was a big thing for me. And I think for a lot of people, I think one of the places that we first really meet and and can't avoid that kind of powerful social conditioning is in school, uh, through the schooling process. So through school and through university, especially when I started to reach the age of 
needing to decide my own life path, needing to really make a choice around what I wanted to study and, and how I wanted to, you know, earn a living and just engage with the world as an adult. So all of those things in my sort of late teens and early 20s really pushed me into shutting off from that part of myself in a way. It was always there, never went away, but my reliance on it was nothing like it is now. Now I live with it. It's my compass, my barometer, my go-to. It's my sanctuary and my wise counsel, this kind of feminine part. You know, I wouldn't be living the way I live without her. She is the, the queen and everything else, even the masculine, which I think is incredibly important. But even that, it serves her that is the complete opposite to what used to happen. So for me, I ended up with depression and just anxiety. And I still remember this experience I had. I was quite young. I was just starting university and I thought, oh, I don't know what to study. And I had good marks from school because I'd really kind of shut down the emotional, intuitive side and really focused on developing intellectually and academically and performing, you know performing to meet the standards that I saw externally and according to the things that society really had dictated were important. So, you know, being successful by external means is one of them. And so I was very, and I still am very ambitious, but I just channel it in a very different way now. It serves the heart, but previously it was just serving what the wounded part of me thought she needed to do in order to be acceptable. And so I ended up doing a law degree. I enrolled in that. And it was just, I understand for some people it might suit them well, but for me, it was just death. It was absolutely awful. It was way too left-brained. It, it was way too oriented in mind. And I just felt like all of the energy in my body and my soul, the part of me that liked to sing, that wanted to dance, that was interested in art and colour and fashion and creativity and writing and, and poetry and romance, which is, you know, and that kind of romantic eroticism can be part of the embodied feminine spiritual path. It's so beautiful. You know, it's, it's not dissociated and floating up in the heavens. It's, it's actually very connected and integrated. So all of that part of me wasn't getting expressed and it just kind of blew up and manifested in this depression. And it was like a deep resistance from the soul. And the soul was just going, what the hell are you doing? I'm not playing. I'm not going to go with you on this. You have to stop. So I was in a tug of war with my soul and my mind, but I didn't know that's what was happening. I just knew I was miserable. And then eventually a girlfriend of mine said to me, I want you to go and have a reading with this spiritual teacher. And I was towards the end of my university degree. I think I had about six months left. And she said, I just want you to go. And I thought, well, you know, I don't know what else I'm going to do. I know that I don't want to be a lawyer after I finish. I know I just want to finish this, but I'm, I'm so lost. And so I was really kind of brought to my knees. I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. So I went for this reading and this lady said to me, you're a really old soul. And I'd never heard anyone use this language before. She said, you're a really old soul and you should be sort of doing what I'm doing, you know, healings and readings. And I had this experience where this voice, like was my voice, but I'd never spoken from this voice before. And I just said to her, I know. And my mind at the time I was saying to her, I know, you're right. My mind was going, what's going on? <laughs> I'm completely freaking out. I, I don't understand. And it was the voice of my soul. So I just kind of went, oh, I know. And then I studied with her. She taught me meditation and we did psychic development classes. She was great, a lot of fun. So for about two years and then towards the end of that, I just started, the first thing I did is I started doing tarot card readings at a spiritual festival and I was terrified. I'd never done anything like that before. And I sat down and the first woman sat in front of me to have a reading. It was at Cronulla Beach in Sydney. It was just this outdoor kind of psychic fair, very small, very low key. And, and she sat down and I thought, 
okay, let's just see what happens. And I tuned into spirit and then I just started talking. And I still remember one of the first things I said to her was, you have like cameras around you. Do you like photography? And she said, yes. And that was enough. I thought, okay, I'm just going to speak and I'm not going to monitor. And it went really well. And then I just kept going. So it, it sort of started from that and then evolved. And I just trusted my instincts, but I really fought with that divine feminine intelligence. And I really, the way that I fought and I didn't realize I was fighting it until later, but what I would do is I keep trying to take control. So as soon as something good would happen, I'd think, oh, okay, I can do this. Well, let me organize it and, and let me <laughs> let me set a strategy and let me figure out how I'm going to just make that work the way I want it to. And then everything would shut down again. And then I had to learn <laughs> to kind of use this determination and this strength and this will that I have to stop trying to direct and control the river, so to speak, and just learn how to swim, you know? <laughs> so that kind of, that happened, but it was a long journey and there was no one really talking at the time about all this stuff. So I was kind of figuring it out as I went. And anyone who's going through a divine feminine initiation will know you feel like you're just disoriented, it's chaos, you have no idea what you're doing. You're trying to kind of feel your way, but you don't really have a clear understanding of what's happening. And <laughs> it's just an absolute muddle, but somehow you feel like it's the right thing and you're supposed to be doing it. And in your heart, you can't turn away. And you know that if you try to just start working in the old ways, you're going to be completely abandoning your heart. And and that's the the kind of the price that you pay for admission into her realm. But the beauty of it, of course, is that we flourish and we become what we're meant to be and all these beautiful synchronicities happen and we grow and we start to evolve beyond our own mental limitations. And that's where stuff gets really interesting and where the creative kind of evolution and the surprises and the magic and all of the stuff that you think, gosh, I couldn't have dreamed that up even if I tried. You know, it's so amazing. That's where all that good stuff happens. But you have to go through the initiation process first. And my goodness, you've got to be a badass. Like you've got to have some courage and you've, you've got to be so disenfranchised with the world and yet loving it and loving humanity and loving the earth and loving your own body and your own soul enough that you're willing to bear the tension and not just say, oh, screw it, I'm going to drop into apathy and I'm not going to bother. So it's this tension of saying, this isn't right, but I love it enough and I want to fix something. And, and I don't know how, but I know I can be part of it. And you allow yourself to be led. Wow, Alana, thank you for encapsulating this <laughs> the admission you have or the yeah the price of admission you have to pay to work in the realms of the divine feminine because in my life personally <laughs> like when I met Lauren I was working in venture capital and finance I had been doing that for years and was in the process of learning how to meditate right I was like in my own suffering process soul and mind not connected and it was really difficult and in a way now that I look back it's like I had seated like a prayer to find my own feminine essence again, to reconnect. And through meeting Lauren and then the synchronicities that came from there, I've been on this deep initiation with the divine feminine. I, I don't think you could work on a mission like Global Sisterhood and not <laughs> go through <laughs> that process. And I'm so <laughs> grateful because my life is so much more abundant. It's not that it's easier at all. And the gifts are just abounding. So mm -hmm. it's true. And when we think of global sisterhood, we are very aware of who global sisterhood belongs to. And it's not us. It's absolutely not us. And we humble ourselves to her and 
listen, and it's a deep initiation, truly. That's beautiful. I love what you've both said there. I love especially that you said it's not easier because I think there is in the kind of early stages of the spiritual path, this lovely fantasy of sort of, it's almost escapist when you connect with the spiritual worlds and everything becomes flow and and then people, and, and in a way it does, it definitely becomes flow, but we're not infantilized, you know, we're not turned into these little babies that no longer have to do effort or grow. And there's something that can be a bit of a shock to the system when you realize that there's a lot that's asked of you. In fact, the more that you grow, the more that's asked of you. But you you start to love the challenge and it, because it feels meaningful, like you're fighting for the right thing, mm. you know, you're climbing the right mountain. There's nothing more depressing than climbing the wrong mountain or putting all this energy in and suddenly realising that the thing you were working towards holds no emotional or heart-centred value to yeah. you. It's just like, oh, God, what the hell did I do that for, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> treat it as a learning experience and then think, would I like to apply all that amazingness and all that energy and passion into something that actually feels like it's going to to nourish. And then something beautiful happens instead of pouring all the energy into sort of a, you know, like those wounded souls that just suck the energy out of the room. It's like, it doesn't matter how much you give them. I'm, I'm sure you all know, all the listeners can go, oh yeah, I've, you know, I know, I've met someone like that at some point in my life. You can pour and pour and pour all that energy and it's never enough and you get nothing back and you just end up drained and exhausted. When you're connected to your kind of purpose and your path and your mission, the more you give, the more you receive. It's a very kind of mutually nourishing, feeding and expansive experience, completely different, completely different, but it still takes effort. It still requires courage, but there's just so much more reward and return. Right. Especially if you learn what you have been learning, not to control the guidance you receive. You're like, oh, I have the inspiration. I have the vision. Now I'm going to put it all in this organized package and it's all going to look like this. Yeah, that's that's a really big lesson for me personally. For me too. <laughs> yeah, you have to give up the attachment to what you think it's going to look like. And look, sometimes I say too, because that can be quite scary, you know, when you're committing yourself something fully and you really have no idea what's going to happen or how it's going to unfold. But that is the, the hallmark of divine feminine genius. And I, I sometimes use the example of the, the caterpillar and the butterfly. And it's a little bit like, well, the caterpillar probably has no conception of butterfly experience. It really doesn't. But it does know the step that it needs to take and it does know that the chrysalis is calling and it does know how to kind of self-digest and reform itself. But it doesn't know what's on the other side. And if you kind of pointed out a butterfly to a caterpillar, it would probably not have any comprehension of connection to that energy or to that experience. And I think it's the same divine feminine intelligence that's in every being and every soul that understands what it's supposed to be and how it's supposed to get there. And we don't have to understand the stages. We don't have to understand the what the fruition looks like. All we need to really do when we're working with the divine feminine is to recognize that there is that innate intelligence within and learn how to use our strength, not to try and mold the world or ourselves to the way we think it should look, but use that strength to learn how to hold the space, to be in that conscious surrender and tune in and find the ways that we're actually able to connect and intuit and feel for her wisdom within us. And sometimes people say to me, now, how do you know? And I, I just sort of say, well, think about a surfer sitting on a surfboard in the middle of the ocean. They're not saying, okay, wave, go now 
now and (laughs) be this strong and move me in this direction. They're using their body and they're sensing the board and they feel the currents of the ocean. And you just know, you know when you're feeling the current, oh, there's a wave and there's an opportunity to move. You don't have to predict that in advance. And working with the feminine intelligence, I feel is quite similar. You, You learn to sense the currents of your own soul. And this is not a biological imperative. This is for men who are connecting with the feminine non-binary. It's it's not limited to people who identify biologically as women. This is a soul phenomenon. It's in every human heart and it's in every human spiritual inheritance to learn how to move in this way. And when we're ready for it, we're really basically saying to the universe and from a soul level, I am willing to give up my small certainties in order to embrace the greater vision and intelligence and compassion and wild creative resourceful kindness and daring and creative flamboyance and freedom that you know is what I am all about and what I'm meant to grow into and what I what I am in essence. I'm ready to discover the truth of my nature according to your grace rather than withholding myself from you. And when you say that, you know, you basically, you're connecting to the heart. When you connect to the heart, that's essentially the prayer that you're putting out to the universe. And that's why everything goes nuts when you start to do it and things break down and new things start to emerge. And it, you've got to kind of gird your loins a bit and ground yourself when you're going through it. But if you let it happen, if you let the things fall away, and if you trust in the process and you kind of just stay centered, you'll find that what emerges out of it is far more beautiful, far more suitable. And you have this delightful experience of feeling completely different and more like yourself than you've ever felt before. I love the way you describe the firming down in you know, in the moment, because my experience is I have a lot of fear come up when I think about the future. Oh, I'm not going to know what to do. This idea that I'm not going to have everything that I need. And the reality is when I look in the past, I've always had the resource that I needed to do the next thing, right? In the moment, like the surfer, you have everything you need actually to direct your energy with the current of the wave. But we have this idea in our heads, it's maybe it's like the ego that we won't have everything that we need and we're scared. And I notice it what's happening right now on our planet. It's like the shaking of the lack of knowing because we've had to do something that was different than we've had to do. And uh, there's a lot of uncertainty. So I'm curious about how you personally work with that energy of fear, but also the trusting that you're going to have the resource that you need in the moment. Yeah, it's a big, big journey, I think, for a lot of us. And a lot of souls will be noticing what's happening on the planet at this time and the kind of collective response to feeling as though control is being wrested out of your hands, which is what happens eventually, even for individuals on the spiritual path. If you don't give up, <laughs> if you don't choose to surrender, eventually you just hit a space where you have to. And and that's not a punishment. It's an act of love because if you, you know, if you're not reaching that place, you can't cross that that threshold and, and take that step into the spiritual dimension. You just can't. You're stuck. So, you know, depending on how much experience we've had with that already in our personal lives, we'll either be hitting it now for the first time with the collective, or we will have had some experience in our life of just the amount of fear that comes up. It it took me, gosh, I I still remember when I I left my mainstream work. So I worked part-time in law firms and was miserable and and wanted to leave and, and didn't know how to make the practical leap into the the world and the realm that I wanted to work with. This is kind of after those two years that I'd studied with that teacher. And and I said to Spirit, you know, 
I need a sign. Like I'm miserable in the work that I'm doing. I hate it. I just, I feel like I'm going to scream my head off if I have to go into that office one more time. It's not for me, but I, I don't know what to do. And I had some guidance pop into my head to approach this spiritual store that was literally a five minute walk around the corner from where I was living at the time. And they just said, call this woman. So I called her and I said, I'm not really sure why I'm calling you, but I do psychic readings. And she said, oh, we, someone just left. We're looking for someone to start two days a week. Can you start? And I said, yes. And I hung up the phone and I quit my job. And I was freaking terrified because I'd gone from, you know, full-time work because I was so unhappy. My misery loved shopping. So I had a huge credit card debt <laughs> at the time. And I was putting myself in a situation of completely, you know, unknown degree of income, working as a psychic part-time two days a week. I mean, to look at it logically, it was completely insane. But in my heart, I thought, I have to do this. This is my leap. This is my opening. And so that's what I did. And I went home that night and I thought about, you know, the fact that I just quit my job and I felt complete relief. And then two seconds later, absolute terror. And then for the next, it was about 18 months, every day, the amount of survival fear was incredible. It was absolutely off the charts and it every day. And the only reason it stopped is because around the end of 18 months, I was just basically said to myself, look, somehow money's coming in and I'm all right. You know, it, it feels scary because I don't have that buffer there, but I'm, I'm doing okay. Can I stop doing this? Cause it's completely freaking exhausting. Like I'm just wearing myself out with the terror and the and so I started to give it up. And then it was like kind of sun shining through the clouds. I'd have moments of intense fear. And then I would respond to that by saying, well, you're doing okay so far and spirit hasn't let you down. And, you know, maybe you can give up the fear and see what happens if you learn how to relax. And it took me a while because I'd grown up in a very survival oriented household with very practically minded family. And, you know, we were spiritual, like religious family with some degree of spirituality, but not the way that I live it now. So it was all very foreign. But I just knew that I couldn't live the old way. So what was my choice? I could either resist the change or accept that I really needed it and just try to take that step day by day. So I broke it down day by day. I would pray, I would work with cards. I think it's one of the passions that I had to write all these oracle cards because I wanted people that were going through the thing that I went through to have something that they could touch and hold and read and feel and would help them know that actually, no matter how terrified you may be at the moment in the process of this change and upheaval, everything is going to be okay. And what you're actually working with seems like it's a lot of factors outside of your control. And in a way it is, but you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be in control of things in order to benefit from what's happening. And it was just this very slow, steady, ongoing process of starting to almost switch up the belief system that I was relying on. And that was it. I had the two of them running side by side at one stage. That was the original belief system that I had inherited, which is very much what is dominant in society, which is that you need to control everything, plan ahead, strategize, know what's going to happen or prepare yourself for every possible eventuality. And only then can you relax, but not really, because you have to keep working and you have to always <laughs> be vigilant. And, <laughs> right. and then there was this other belief system, which was you're resourceful, you can attract what you need. There is a benevolent intelligence within you that actually wants you to thrive and succeed. There will be challenges, but you'll know how to work with them by trusting your heart. And in some way, you'll be able to make them serve you. So you're not actually fighting against anything. You're not actually needing to be afraid. You're just needing to trust. 
And so they were kind of side by side. And eventually it just took some time, but I started to fill up the spiritual belief system and trust it a bit more. And I just treated it. And I always say to people, if you're doing this for the first time or you're still getting the hang of it, treat it like an experiment. What happens when you trust? What happens when you ask for help and you relax? And I did that enough and I thought things are better. Things work more easily. Who knew? You know, I was so used to the hard way. The harder it is, the more difficult it is, the more drama and pain it causes you, then surely the mu- you know, the more you must get out of it. And it's just not true. You still have to work hard on the other path, but it can be done in combination with grace. And it's just so much more sensible. Otherwise, it's like a bird trying to fly with no air. <laughs> you know, how's that going to work? You sit there, effort of putting your wings up. There's no darn air underneath. If you never take the leap to actually become airborne, nothing's going to happen. Whereas if you put in that even less effort, but you take the leap and you, you know, then suddenly you're soaring. So it was just that shift, but it's, it took some time and don't be afraid of the fear. Some of the goddesses that I work with, I I do a training program called the Kuan Yin Transmission, and we work for five different goddesses, particularly in that, but two of them, Tara and Kali. So Kali's the the dark goddess. Tara, I love her, and, and she's particularly known for overcoming fear. And, and in her fierce form, she becomes Kali, this kind of dark goddess that protects us from our own ego, essentially. <laughs> so as Tara, she really, she overcomes fear and her qualities are that she's incredibly resourceful and she's very fast. And I think when we have this sense of spirit, not being something that's floating about in the sky, kind of disembodied and disconnected from what's happening, when we have a feeling of spirit as being like a loving mother that really is with us in our body and knows what's happening and not only knows, but has like 75 million solutions for every one little drama that we can come up with, we start to have this sense of we're not in this so alone in the way that we thought. We still have to take responsibility for our path, but there are so many allies. There are so many helpers. There's so much resource. And then instead of it being completely frightening, we might have fear sometimes, but we start to feel this sense of curiosity and courage. And that's the shift that happens when you start to embody with the divine feminine and and have that as part of your practice. So I'm a huge proponent of work with divine beings. If this, you know, is in your framework of what you, you know, you resonate with, but work with divine beings that can assist you in starting to feel your connection to the spiritual worlds more strongly than your allegiance to what society and the herd is telling you. So beautiful, that transmission. It evoked so many feelings in me, particularly speaking about survival and feeling that fear that rises in me and also feeling it in the collective, especially since COVID-19 and this massive collective fear of death and loss. And you brought Kali and Tara into the conversation. And so I wanted to take it a little bit deeper and talk about this subconscious or very conscious, just primal fear of leaving this earth or being harmed or just this this survival fear and the element of trust and i wanted to talk about death as the mother and as a part of our experience and that transition that death and rebirth cycle and i'd love to hear your wisdom on on this for the women who are listening who could really benefit including myself that's beautiful and carly I mean, she's funny like that. She's very complex. I've written an oracle about her, actually, if this is something that you're interested in exploring, um, the Kali Oracle, because I I just love her. That was my kind of love letter to her. But I I remember once I was travelling in India, and that's the culture from which 
Kali arises. And I was wearing a, a pendant that had a, a fierce form of Kali because she has gentle forms as well. And the reaction of the local people was fascinating to me. You know, they would sort of come up to me in the street and say, is that Kali? And I'd say, yes. And a very small number would say, oh, you know, namaste and, and, and you know, jai Kalima, and we'd have a little moment, whatever. But a lot of local people came up and I'd say, is that Kali? Yes. And they would look, colour would drain from their face and they would run, <laughs> just run away. And I thought, it's so fascinating because, and, and the reason they would do that is she's very fierce. Like she, you know, has a, like I'm wearing skulls in her honour. I don't know if you can see that, but, um, you know, she has a garland of skulls and she's all about the death of the ego. She's about symbolic death. And I think our fear of death is really, it can work in two ways. It can inspire us to really, you know, get moving and to, <laughs> to make a commitment to do what we can with this precious life, which is how I work with it. Or it can become something that just makes us freeze, you know, freeze with that fear. And look, navigating the energy of fear is part of a very important initiation and it is happening collectively. And I think one of the things that you mentioned, you know, is important is to discern what's yours and what belongs to the collective. Because when you're going through a spiritual awakening, yes, we are all connected. However, you will still have your own individual journey. And the more you are able to differentiate, you know, what am I picking up in the ethers? Because maybe I'm going through a spiritual awakening or a psychic awakening, or I'm menstruating, for example, that psychically for women tends to open our energy field, or you're being more sexually active than usual, that can also open the energy field more or you're doing more meditation, more spiritual practices, all of these things tend to increase our permeability. So this is not something to be afraid of. This is good. It's like our antenna become heightened, but you also need to be able to know how to work with what it is that you're picking up. So having some kind of practice, which is very grounding, which pulls all of that kind of mental energy that tends to be part of modern Western life in particular, and starts to pull it down through the heart and allow it to sort of center. You can even visualize it and want to kind of intend it and feel it. And it might take you one minute every morning and every evening where you allow that energy to kind of ground and gather in the deep belly and just have this feeling of exhaling <sighs> and then coming back to this is me, this is where I'm at in the moment, this is the boundary of my body and I can ground and centre and just stabilise myself in this and really feeling like deep beneath the body because Kali relates to the base chakra. There is this fabulously fierce, black like the deepest night and shimmering like an oil slick with light bouncing off it. Deep, deep black, very fierce. She is the cosmic womb. She is capable of absorbing anything and everything. So you can even imagine like the stuff that doesn't belong to you. You don't even have to know consciously what it is or what it isn't. You can imagine all of that soaking down and like her beautiful devouring jaws, just taking it in. It's like she's <laughs> munching away and pulling that energy out of you that doesn't belong to you. And, you know, she is the transforming principle. There's this amazing story about a Hindu saint called Ramakrishna and he loved Kali. He adored her, worshipped her, and he had a vision of her before he really knew the full nature of her. And the vision was she kind of rose out of the ocean like Venus, you know, rose up and she was exquisite and heavily pregnant and, you know, her hair was the stars and the cosmos and she gave birth to this baby and picked it up to her breast 
and he was like, wow, you know, she's the divine mother. And then she bit its head off and started devouring it and he was horrified. He's like, what's going on? What's going on? And then, you know, there was blood everywhere and then she went down into the ocean and then she rose up again and the whole thing repeated itself over and over until he realised, oh, she gives birth, she gives life and then she devours life and this is cycles. This is the nature of experience. So death is not an ending. Death is just the turning of the page in the chapter. Death is the the winter that allows for shedding so that spring can come. You know, we know this kind of intellectually, but we have to get to a sense where we don't just kind of put off grappling with the energy of death to the end of our life, but actually start to look at it because it happens every night when you go to sleep, there's an ending of a day. Every time when you take an inhalation or an exhalation, you're going through that process, ending and beginning. There's a teaching in the Vedic tradition of ancient India that the universe was created on an exhalation and an inhalation gets drawn back into the divine and everything ends and then exhalation again. So there's this sense of learning how to grapple with the energy of death, not as something that's terrifying and final, but as something that's liberating. It gives you a chance to reboot. It's like when you put new software on your computer. If you have some real fancy software program and your computer's just, it slows down and you need to turn it off and turn it on again so everything can kind of be refreshed, it clears the cache, everything operates better, operates more smoothly. This is death energy. It's not something that we have to kind of make taboo. And the more that we do that, and as a culture, this is our problem in the West, we think that we're going to live forever and when we're confronted with divine feminine reality of you have a finite amount of time rather than saying, gosh, all right, let me kick off my shoes and celebrate and do something amazing with it, we think, oh no, I better try and avoid that and and not do the work of figuring out well, how can I place this in a context? And this is the genius of the feminine. She, And it's something the masculine has many abilities and many skills and we really need that energy, but it can't do this. Only the feminine can do this. And she provides context. She shows how things fit together in the greater scheme. And I think death needs context in order to drop some of the fear. Just to be able to say, this is part of my greater soul journey. If you are completely identified with your body, and this is where I get really kind of cautious around identity politics and stuff like that. Is there value in it? Yes. Do we need to be careful? Definitely. Because it can enhance body identification to the point that we disconnect from this awareness of our sense of context as a soul, that we have numerous lifetimes, that we're on a journey, that there will be beginnings and endings and kind of deaths of a symbolic nature within this one lifetime. And if we don't go through it, you end up, you know, that terrible situation, someone's like 90 years old and they're still behaving like they're 16. It's like, oh my God, like, you know, when are you going to grow up? When are you going to mature? When are you going to allow life to have its way with you and bring out the best in you? Like you have to be willing to go through those micro deaths um, throughout your life. And so I think being able to see it in that way begins to kind of normalize death. In Eastern traditions, they spend a lot more time thinking and and preparing for death. In the West, I think we just need to start looking at where is this energy already symbolically active? You know, where can I begin to see its value and its beauty? And where can I begin to find a sense of context of my own sense of being? Because with death is, the way that we fear death is a completely limited and incorrect human perception. It feels very real, but it's not. It's only we're looking at the one side. It's like we're not actually recognising that we just see the turning of the page. We don't see that there's actually a whole other page on the other side. And I'll tell you this about uh, death. I was meditating when my beautiful Zogchen master is Tibetan. He was in his 80s. And I was deep in meditation in Australia and he was in, I think he was in Tenerife at the time. 
And I knew when he left his body because uh, deep in meditation and I felt him and then all of a sudden it was like, and this light and this love and it was like some shackle had been released and it was just, I was literally sitting there like this shaking because there was so much of this beautiful energy and I thought, oh, he's just died. And his energy was stronger than ever before, but he didn't have the limitations that he needed to kind of almost put on his soul, which we all do as part of being human and having a human journey. This is probably before your time, but it reminds me of, I think it was the first Star Wars movie when <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobi died and then he, you know, and he's saying to Darth Vader, you can strike me down, but I'll become more powerful and, <laughs> you know, such a nerd. Anyway, but that's what happened in the movie. And honestly, with my teacher, it was, it just reminded me of that. I thought, oh my God, who wrote Star Wars? Is it Steven Spielberg? Someone did. Anyway, whoever wrote it, I, he knew what he was writing about. <laughs> yeah, we've seen Star Wars. <laughs> Hello, family. So this is Shayna here, and I am here to talk to you about the Dark Goddess. We are embarking on a three-day descent to meet the Dark Goddess starting on Friday, November 11th. And so, who is the Dark Goddess? She is Hakati. She is Kali. She is Lilith. She is Ulukun. She is Persephone, and she lives inside of you. This is the deep and dark parts of ourselves that are untamed, brave, and fearless. This dark goddess inside of us is yearning, longing for us to show up so we can embrace an ever richer and more invigorating life. This this part of us, this dark goddess in us, it's filled with rage that burns within, protects our ancestral trauma, the grief, and the shame like an armor. She's the whisper inside of you saying, you are not broken and it's time to embrace me. And so if you're hearing this and feel the call, you are being summoned. The Dark Goddess is summoning you to fiercely go into the underworld with us in sisterhood and to face your shadows, to embrace all the parts of you so that you can rise like the phoenix who rises from the ashes of her own imperfection, heartbreak, trauma, and pain. And so if you feel ready to go on the descent with us, this is your invitation. We are starting on Friday and it will be a three-day transformative journey to really meet yourself wherever you are right now, to feel into and to go into this dark and shadowy place, which is often not the most fun thing to do. But I'm telling you, when you do it in sisterhood, we do it with intention, we do it in coherence with one another. This is a space where real transformation happens. So I'm calling on you to come with us. So the journey starts on Friday. We end on Sunday with a live call that happens at 11 a.m. Pacific time, 2 p.m. Eastern time. And I'm inviting you to come. And so this episode today is with Alana Fairchild. She is going to be talking about the Dark Goddess. This is an episode that we aired last year. It was one of our most listened to episodes of our first season. And Alana has a beautiful way of talking about the dark goddess, how it's this force within us that really can be darker than even the darkest things that we feel. And so when we call on her, this force can really transform anything. She is the compost. She is the earth. She is our mother. So if you would like to meet her, come along and enjoy listening to this episode with Alana Fairchild.
to call on her is to really, and, and I'll, I'll teach you a very simple mantra that you can use to begin to connect with her energy and you can just play with it. But when you connect with her, whether it's through the mantra or just the intention of feeling that, that goddess energy beneath you that's grounding you and absorbing the stuff that you don't need and, and kind of chewing it up like the earth mother does, you know, she literally uses crap for fertilizer. So it's like, it doesn't matter what rubbish you kind of let go. That can all be repurposed and regenerated and become, you know, a fuel for new life. But when you connect with her, you're really saying, I'm not going to be afraid of my own shadow. I'm not going to be afraid of my own fear. I'm not going to be afraid of the things that I don't know. Or if I am, I'm not going to allow the fear to stop me. I'm going to work with the fear as part of everything else that I work with. I think one of the big things is learning not to be afraid of your fear and also understand there will be a point, I absolutely promise you this because I've gone through it myself, it just took a while, but there'll be a point where you're anchored enough in the feminine and then fear stops being a major player in your life. It comes up rarely and when it does, it's a little bit rather than feeling like it can't, you know, when you feel fear and it grips you from the inside and it's like it paralyzes you for a moment, can kind of grip your heart or stop you from breathing or just sending you into a total panic spiral. What starts to happen is your spiritual center is kind of robust enough and, and nourished enough and you're familiar enough with it and it feels more real to you than anything else. So when fear does arise, it's like something on the ethers. It's like a bug that's kind of floating around outside the house and you see it through the window and you're like, oh, okay, do I need to kind of deal with that? Do I need to respond to it? But it doesn't feel like it's striking at the, the heart of you and anymore. You have a completely different relationship with it. You still need to deal with it. And there'll be times when you feel it in the community, for example, like what you expressed with, you know, what's happening with the pandemic at the moment. And there is a massive release of fear that's taking place. And I, I really do feel for lightworkers and healers and spiritual aspirants that are waking up at this time because it's a wild ride to be doing it at this point in time. I went through my process with that with fear, you know, from when I was very young. So I'm a little bit, you know, just not far ahead, but maybe a couple of steps. And so I'm looking back and thinking, okay, I know what that's like to go through that because I went through it. So when I look at what's happening on the planet, I'm responding to it and using the tools that I used to respond to, you know, my own journey when I went through that. So it's what I see happening on the planet. It's just like seeing a friend going through a crisis. I'm like, okay, how are we going to respond to this? But it is important that you have that that kind of sense of a, a safe place to fall. So Carly can do that for you. And Jamar Carly is a really simple mantra that you can say can be in your heart, can feel a delicious black light all around you that, you know, doesn't accept any bullshit into your world and is, you know, absolutely happy to absorb any negativity and to kind of nourish you. And you can just kind of imagine that you, you're melting your edges into that letting all of those edges melt and feel like you have this beautiful fierce protectoress and then in your heart just Jay Margali, Jay Margali, Jay Margali. And you just feel her like this beautiful fierce, you know, not going to take any nonsense. And, and when she's so inclined, tender, generous, graceful, provides abundance and protection, she's just marvellous. And any time that you really feel that you're hitting that, that deep place of transformation in yourself or you're sensing it in the world or the energy just feels skew with and you know that it would, you know, kind of be very disruptive or you call on something that's fiercer than that, that's more powerful than that. If something appears to be evil, you call on something that's even more dark than that, but dark in the luminous, radiant, spiritual wisdom way, dark in the chaos and the, the disruption, the death that leads to new life kind of way, dark that is anchored in love. And that's Carly. I feel such a deep resonance in my being when you speak about calling on something even stronger, right? Like the more powerful aspect of Kali. It's incredible. And I, I find this from your decks as well, that there's this 
resourcefulness of connecting to multiple aspects of the divine feminine, really getting in touch with the many faces of the goddess and the different ways that we can connect to these aspects to use as a tool to help us through life's journey, right? The ups and the downs and all the the turns. So I had a question around connecting, connecting to these different aspects of the goddess. And you do this in such a beautiful way. I've actually never, I don't think, encountered someone that can channel in the way that you do that feels so resonant. And so I'm curious about that process, what that looks like for you. Like, are you sitting down to meditate and calling in a specific energy or you going into some kind of hermit phase where you work specifically with this? Or is it something much more flowy? Like, how do you work with a specific energy and allow that to work through you? It's a combination of things. I've I've found over the years that there's certain, like a plant will thrive with certain conditions. It can grow anyway, but it'll do better, you know. And I think for all of us, you know, the way I connect is probably fairly universal. So it starts from the heart. There are things that support that. So it doesn't have to be full hermit mode, but I'm pretty hermity, <laughs> generally speaking. And it's because I love spirit and I love to, you know, so I'm in conversation and connection with that consciously pretty much 24-7. It's just the way these days. So I don't like to be hugely distracted from that. But it doesn't mean that, you know, I still enjoy people and I enjoy play and, and to connect and I love it. But I like to do it in a way that feels like it amplifies spirit. So for me, I'm quite selective in what I choose to engage with and what I don't. And, and that's everything from what I want to watch on Netflix or <laughs> uh, the kind of social events that I want to go to and the kind of people that I want to spend time with in my inner circle, you know. So I, I do choose those things based on the resonance and what, and what feels like it's something that I can kind of spiritually metabolise, so to speak. And sometimes you don't get that choice and you just have to deal, in which case, you know, I call on the spiritual practice like the one that I mentioned to you and I utilise that energy to keep purifying and, and kind of rebalancing me and bringing me back to, to that place. It does flow. I do meditate, but it's also that feeling of connection with the feminine. The more you're connected to your body and the more you go through that process of allowing your body and your soul to kind of become known to you as one being, you know, as as one expression of, of a very important part of you, then the more that that's just with you and it will rise up spontaneously. So you could be out, I don't know, going for a walk or something and suddenly you see something, a bird, and, and something happens and you see it, I don't know, doing a, a circle in the air. And it's not just a bird doing a circle in the air. Somehow in your heart, it's like this means something and it's not your mind going, what can I make this mean? It's just something that you feel in your bones. It's like somehow you're in that moment, you lift it and energetically and you think, oh, I don't know why, but I feel like everything's going to be okay. There was like a spiritual transmission that happened and you weren't having to meditate for it. You just needed to be in your body and paying attention, you know, and just a little bit. Like, you know, they talk about stopping to smell the flowers. It's a little bit like a way of living that at any point is just kind of open to the possibility that you'll get spiritual guidance in some unexpected way. You know, sometimes people tell me how they've found my work and stuff and they're hilarious, the stories. It's like, oh, a book fell off the shelf and hit them on the head. I mean, that's not hilarious. It was, you know, painful, but <laughs> but it was a small book. It wasn't one of my, <laughs> it wasn't one of my really big ones, so they're okay. But just these funny things of where, you know, you have these spirit encounters in day-to-day life and it, it's not that it has to be something really dramatic. You know, it can be something that's quite subtle. So I think for me, it's just, it's like I, I turn my attention to it 
And that's what I've learned to do. And it's a little bit like, you know, if you want to talk to a girlfriend or something, you've got to pick up the phone and dial it. And, you know, maybe you don't want to have five other people in the room having a conversation at the time when you really want to talk with her. Maybe you just want to, you know, step into another room where it's a bit quiet and, you know, dial the number and then sit down and and think, you know, you have that moment where you're going to connect with someone and you just say, oh, and then you kind of, you tune into them and you have that amazing conversation. It's exactly the same with our divine girlfriends, you know, with the divine mother, Tara, Kali, Konin, Mother Mary, Isis. It's, it's the same. It's that willingness, that intention, a little bit of space, and then just asking. And the way we dial the number, and the goddess always picks up, you know, <laughs> the other end, the way we dial the number, is we just go into our heart and we think of their name. We think of their name. We feel for their name. That's it. And then I've written, you know, a bazillion processes in all different things of different ways and short meditations and long practices. So you can go to town with, you know, as ornate as you want to be and try all different ways. But the simple thing to start is just that, just thinking of their name, feeling their name in your heart and then recognising that the connection's made and then just resting in it a little bit. Like if you wanted to, you know, hear some advice from a friend, you'd tell her, this is what's happening in my life. What do you think? And then you'd be quiet and you'd listen. So we do the same thing. And listening with the heart, you know, just letting the feeling be there, letting there be a bit of space. And that's another thing that the feminine does very well. And Carly really helps with this because her nature is spaciousness. So often when we're feeling afraid, we're feeling overwhelmed, we're feeling disconnected from ourselves, we're worried. We feel like the weight of the world is on our shoulders and we don't know how to cope with it. And that's a very legitimate reason to be worried because, you know, you're trying to do something that you can't do. One person cannot fix the weight of the world. So of course you're going to feel stressed about it. But it's not to think, oh my goodness, you know, this is terrible. It's just to have a moment of recognition and saying, oh, it's too much. I need more spirit to balance out all of this world. (laughs) Too much world, not enough spirit creates stress. So how do I create more spirit? Oh, I need some space. I need some Kali. And then you just shift the scales. You didn't change anything in the world and you changed everything within your heart and you feel completely different and add bonus. You're open to receive that beautiful inspiration and, and resourceful guidance from the divine that will help you know, you know, what your little piece of the puzzle can be, you know, how you can make a difference in your own unique way. And just think for a moment, of the majority of the population doing that. What a transformed world. And it all starts with just one light and another light. And this is how it's happening. Too much world, not enough spirit equals being stressed out. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh my goddess. So true. It's so true. I just want to just breathe that in and tell anyone who's listening to this, you deserve space to be with spirit. I'm telling myself that. Oh, it's such a beautiful thing you decide. And so simple. You don't have to change the world. You change yourself and then everything is different. And it's simply by just connecting, orienting and connecting and being with the feelings. So beautiful. And that brings me to wanting to go a little bit deeper into the really hard feelings to be with, like rage, for instance, or the really scary ones to feel inside yourself. I love what you shared about Kali rooted beneath you as this big black cosmic void where you can just let it all go into. You can let you can just let it all release release it all. And I just feel inclined to to share something with you that I think I'm wanting to share because I think there are women who need to hear this and it's a vulnerable thing to share and I I think your guidance would be really helpful. And I have been an open psychic channel since I was four years old. I had my first experience when I was four years old and it wasn't with a being of light. It was a very scary experience. I grew up in a traumatic time in my family and there were darker manifestations around. 
And then in my spiritual journey, I began to reorient and connect with higher guides, the divine mother, she saved my life. I realized I had a lot of God trauma because of all of the ways of Christianity and the dogma and that I was sinful and I had this guilt and I disconnected, but the Holy Mother brought me back to connecting with God, Father, universe, creator, everything. And through that, I began to orient and have experiences with lighter energies, cosmic beings, beautiful angelic beings. And that has supported me in my journey of learning how to deal with these hard visions. And even though I've been on this path, really dedicated to this work for 14 years, I can still feel places where I hold the trauma in my body, like portals to what feels like an energetic realm where there's harder things to see, scary things to see. And I can feel my own rage and my own connection to that still in my body. And I've been working on releasing, working on shifting my mindset, working on like so much trauma work, so much somatic release, so much beautiful work and progress is being made, but I would love to hear your advice for women like me, for women who go through similar things of really doing a lot of work and orienting themselves to the higher light and still experiencing what we could call darkness or pain manifest. Yeah, I think that's really deep. And I want to honor you for sharing that. For you personally, like don't stop because you're a lot closer than what you you think you are to getting that shift and that that turning point. But there's that expression, you know, it's darkest before the dawn. And certainly in my own journey, the intensity of confrontation with evil, if you want to call it that, was very, very intense and had me on my knees, literally. Like there were days when the only way I could pray is laying face down on the floor and just saying to the Divine Mother, like, I I am lost. Like, I I cannot feel you. I cannot feel a sense of safety. I cannot feel a connection with my own heart. And I feel terrified that I'm going to be consumed by this, this negativity and this darkness. And I was so horrified by particularly the pleasure that some of the, that darker energy seemed to take in creating suffering. Like, it was an anathema to me. It was the opposite of what I'm about. And I was just, I was I I can't even begin to describe just the horror within my heart of witnessing that. And then I had this dream. I get a lot of my teachings, powerful teachings through dreams that stay with me. And it was a dream of this really tiny light. And there was all of this kind of darkness that was converging around it, almost like a military kind of thing, you know, boom. and, And I remember in the dream witnessing this light and this horror in my heart that this light was going to be consumed by this darkness. And it felt like the most beautiful, precious thing. And just imagine everything that you loved, everything that you valued being encapsulated in that tiny light and it was about to be destroyed. That's what I felt like. And then all of a sudden, this light, something shifted and this light suddenly started to grow. And all of that negativity and that evil around it just kind of just dissipate it. It's just like it, it recognized it and it just scattered. It like um, retreated to all of the far corners and this light grew, 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 grew and became this magnificent horse. In my dream, I was looking up, it was huge. And then it, it hit its hoof on the ground and I could feel and hear the reverberation of it. And it was, oh my God, even talking about it, it was the most magnificent energy. And it was so powerful. And I thought, nothing's going to fuck with that creature. Like that is a divine emanation. And I had a moment right. of compassion for that evil and that negativity. And I thought, yeah. no wonder it tries to destroy us when we're in that phase of vulnerability because it recognizes that the moment we have that strength, right. there's no chance. I just wanted to say that moment will come. 
but you won't feel like it's coming. You'll feel like you are on your knees and really in that place of vulnerability. The best thing I can say to you is keep up with your prayer and recognise that this is like a moment at the gym for your soul where you're lifting a heavy weight and it's heavier than what you know you can lift. But at some level, there's an intelligence that's saying this, you're ready for this next progression and it will feel difficult. But I can also say to you, encountering negativity and darkness from a very early age is a, a very strong sign that you're an initiate. I had it as well. And the earlier you start navigating your relationship to fear, and you're still quite young, you know, I know, I know people that are still really stuck in that fear and they're in their 60s, 70s, 80s, whatever. So you started very young. It's a sign of an initiate and it's a sign of a, yes. a soul that wants to work <laughs> with the dark goddess. So you get initiated at a very young age. You know, she doesn't waste any time because she doesn't, you've got to remember that spirit doesn't relate to us in the way that we perceive our human selves. It relates to us at a soul level. So if you're this kind of like big old soul, but in a little baby body, you know, the human goes, oh, little vulnerable baby. But the <laughs> but spirit just comes in and recognises there's a powerful light, you know, and so you get these negativities that try to kind of take you out, so to speak, when you're early and young and vulnerable. And the, the, way, the only way they can do that is by fostering self-doubt. And that's okay. So we go through a journey with self-doubt. I went through it too. And it's just part of grappling with, you know, every shaman knows, like goes through this process. It's like you ingest the poison, you learn how to metabolise it, and then you know how to heal it. Mm -hmm. And that's in a nutshell what happens with all of this stuff. One of the greatest gifts that I feel I've received from just having to work through this my entire life. And I do want to say it does feel like I'm at a turning of the page. And I got to a place where I acclimated to just seeing the darkness and having it, but still being able to feel light. That was like the, the next phase. I was like, I'm happy, yet I'm suffering. I'm happy, yet I'm suffering. And I got to that phase. And now it feels like a different turn of the page. And the thing that I find so valuable is that when we talk about evil, I do have such compassion. I recognize that evil is a creation of a being that was abused so, so intensely that its desires become perverted and twisted and it finds joy in causing suffering. And to me, that is something that is still prevalent on this earth. You see people in politics, you see people all over who have that type of perversion of the soul. And with great compassion, I think is the only way we can help navigate and heal those energies and heal those people and show a new way. I love that. And, and I want to speak about something else that you mentioned, which was rage. And it really does. To me, rage is fierce compassion that's just being kind of railroaded slightly with fear. And I think rage, if if you hold a, a divine goddess space, Kali is wonderful for this, where you ask for that presence and you are with your rage, you journal it, you write it, you dance it, you speak it, you, whatever you need to do to begin to give it a voice. And there'll be a lot of it, especially if you're in a feminine body and you are part of the process of awakening the collective feminine, which I'm assuming pretty much all of your listeners are going to be. It's difficult and it, it does involve suffering. To bring the body to consciousness, your own individual body and the body of the collective will involve suffering. It's like the example of the addict, let's say an alcoholic. When they're drunk all the time, everything's la -di da but when they start to sober up, they have to deal with the reality of all of the effects of what has happened through their addiction and the pain that caused it if they want to heal. Waking up is hard. Waking up feels more painful in the sense that there is suffering that you need to deal with. However, it is the kind of pain that leads to wisdom and gets alleviated. 
If we don't go through the process of waking up, we're in pain that self-perpetuates and just gets worse and worse and worse and more and more disconnected from the initial reason that the pain started. So we end up with more confusion, we end up in a complete muddle and we don't even know half the time the full extent of the abuse and the suffering that we're going through. There's just this profound fog and nothing really gets resolved and we create creating problems. You know, it's the problem of unconsciousness and disconnection from the reality of the body that has led to situations of, you know, gross consumerism and overproduction and the problems with the environment as a result. All of these things are symptoms of a lack of soul and a lack of connection to the divine feminine in the heart, the wisdom. So there will be suffering, but it's suffering that leads to liberation. And that is the difference. And I think, you know, with rage, in the feminine body, there's been a lot of violation and there's been a lot of abuse and it's still going on. You know, every time that a human being is judged for their skin colour, their sexuality, their gender, anything about them innately, for who they are, for the nature of their soul, any time there is that judgment, there's a lack of compassion. And when there's lack of compassion, there is suffering. So, you know, to be able to recognise that there'll be rage and to not be afraid of your own anger and to find ways to channel it consciously can actually give you a tremendous amount of energy and making peace with your own emotions and your own emotional process is a way to begin to challenge the fear patterning that and society you know can be terrified of an empowered woman an emotionally empowered woman and that's fine you don't have to take that on it's sort of you start to realize and have compassion for the fear of other people but you don't allow it to make the decision for you about what you do in your life so with rage or any emotion that's difficult grief fear even hate it's very important that you don't get scared of those emotions that you find a conscious container to express them and allow them to kind of cook because the divine feminine is not this is good that's bad that's nonsense she doesn't operate like that the divine feminine is this is undermining your energy you know that this is not in the purity of your heart so it needs to be cooked needs to be transformed that's it and the, the way we transform is like a cook in the kitchen you've got to stir some things around and you know that you use the the what's that knife thing that you know and the, the batter it up and whatever and you've got to kind of get in there and get your hands a bit dirty and and doing that in a contained space and by that I simply mean you do a prayer you ask for divine help you, you know have your phone turned off and you have some time alone and you just journal and, and practice, maybe do a card reading, whatever you need to do, but you you stay with the truth of what you're experiencing and it just becomes part of how you live. Then you feel more secure. You know that you're going to listen to yourself. Fear, which is often a, you know, a symptom of feeling disconnected from your power source and feeling disconnected from that which nourishes you starts to become less. When it does come up in a big whammy, it's like a wave rather than a constant thing that you're dealing with every, you know, 24 seven. And that sense of relating, you know, more spiritless world. It starts to shift. And then you begin to realise that when things do come your way, rather than being afraid or stepping back from them, you start to think, gosh, something wants to be transformed. Something's trying to be unleashed. Something's growing within me that wants expression. I wonder what it will be. And you deal with whatever the pain is that's arising in that moment with that sense of, let's see what this wants to become. And it always becomes something. Your rage might be your beautiful, healthy boundary that gives you that sense of psychic clarity and protection. So you can be, because you're such a beautiful spirit, Lauren, like your heart's so pure. So it just allows you to be completely pure and to be fearless in the purity because you recognise that you've got this kind of energy, maybe it's your, you know, personal carliness that's there, that when someone's going to kind of come at you and try and, you know, 
infect or dump their unprocessed shame or their unprocessed guilt or their their own fear, you can actually just kind of say, you know, I see it, see it a mile away and I have compassion for you, but I'm not playing that game. And you just, you don't, you just energetically, you just don't take it on. And, And that's a beautiful state to be in. So all of that is kind of grist for the mill. Grist for the mill. <laughs> it's the work that needs to be done. <laughs> it's work and it's play, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, if you do what you love, you, nev- you never work a day. So it's partly that too, that you can have grace and ease, which is always my prayer for the, the difficult things we must go through as, as human beings. So I want to connect to where we are in the nature of time. You know, the the feminine has been oppressed for so long. Women have been oppressed for so long. And therefore, the feminine's been mistrusted. And as women, you know, in myself, I experience this, like the desire to speak my truth and show up authentically and really come out of the spiritual closet in a way and show my connection to the divine and to the divine mother and all these things. It's a, it's a journey and it's difficult. So I'm curious if you can speak to like where we are in time and what you feel like is happening with the reclamation of the divine mother. There's definitely a need for what's happening. And I, I think at different points in history, this happens where there's this kind of rebalancing almost. I love the the Taoist tradition, it, particularly I think it was in the Tang Dynasty where women, they're about the third of Taoist practitioners were actually women and they were building their own spiritual schools and creating their own women-only practices. And, and a lot of, you know, different, especially Indigenous traditions will have sort of women's business. And there's this understanding of the, the spiritual role of the feminine and that it, it is its own distinct thing and it's needed to balance society. So I think, you know, when you look at the West and the way that we are kind of skewed towards, it's interesting because we have a kind of, there is a feminine there, but it's sort of an unconscious feminine. And I think what a lot of healers and and those of us that are on the path of the divine feminine are looking to do is to really waken it and to bring it into consciousness. So the feminine in conscious expression is this sense of trusting your own unique path and trusting your own unique process. But when it's in unconscious expression, there can be fear to kind of step away from the way other people are doing things. So there's that. I call, you know, when people are stuck in that, they'll often kind of target people who are stepping into their uniqueness and they'll try to undermine them and they'll say, you know, oh, my religion says you're wrong and or my political belief system says you shouldn't be doing X or Y or whatever. And it's I call them finger pointers. They're just like, oh, you shouldn't be doing that and you <laughs> shouldn't be doing that. And that's the kind of unconscious feminine that says stay the same as everyone else. You know, it's it's connectivity, but it's the unconscious version. It's like stay down like this and, and don't step forward. Whereas the awakened feminine is really about recognising the beauty of unity that can still exist and does still exist in diversity and uniqueness. So it's a real balance. And and I think, you know, we're grappling with that in our culture in the West. And then the kind of counterpart, because the masculine and feminine, they're always connected. It's like the yin-yang symbol that, you know, what happens with one affects the other. So in the masculine, we, we kind of have this toxic masculinity that's, you know, manifests, we might call it patriarchy or colonialism or whatever, but it's the, it's the dysfunctional version of the healthy masculine. And the healthy masculine wants to explore and find new ground. 
That's what it wants to do. It's never happy with how things are. It's always looking for what else could it be? What could be next? And and that can be beautiful if it's partnered with the feminine that says, let's find the heart space. Let's find the way to be connected even whilst we're individuating. Let's find the things that have meaning and value and are nourishing. So if that healthy masculine and that healthy feminine are working together, you end up with very creative human beings that navigating their own path and bringing light into the world in their own unique way. So I think that's wonderful. And and in the West, we have this opportunity of, relatively speaking, freedom and access to information, access to education, access to teachings that in the past we wouldn't have had access to. You know, there's so much that's opened up. And so there is a potential to really fulfill that. But we have to grapple with the shadow side and what we're, you know, what our inheritance is. And there is this toxic feminine and the kind of unconscious feminine, and then this kind of unconscious toxic masculine. And the unconscious toxic masculine is very entitled and it just wants to take whatever it wants to take whenever it wants to take it and bugger everyone else. Who cares? It's all about what you need in that moment. And it tends to create a lot of harm because it it severs things. It doesn't understand connections. So, you know, we have these inheritances and we're learning how to make them more conscious. So the feminine is really the, the leading point for that because you can't have a conscious masculine if there isn't something for it to serve. That's what the conscious masculine does. So we really need to be able to have that kind of feminine brought into awareness and awakened within our own hearts so that that masculine part within ourselves, even as women, but in our society knows what it is that we're working to honour. That's what you know we actually need. So one of the first things that we need to do to really empower the feminine in ourselves is to just think about what matters. What do we care about? You know, forget for a moment all of the priorities that society tells us, you know, you need to have this car and you need to upgrade your technology this amount of times every five seconds and you need to, you know, um, go on this trip and have this status label and this is how you'll know you're a successful person and you need to virtue signal the crap out of everything and this is how you know that, you know, you're decent and you can't. You need to forget all of that nonsense and come back to the heart and just say, can I have enough faith in the inherent goodness of humanity and my own human nature and and just believe that my heart has some purity in it, has some divinity in it, has some spirit, has some grace. What is it that matters to my heart? And it's not disrespecting someone else if what matters to their heart looks slightly different. But what tends to happen the more we connect with the heart is that we find this incredible universality, you know, no matter what the diversity of our upbringing, our ethnicity, our socioeconomic status, if we do the spiritual work and, and do that process of learning how to go within and and inquire within the heart, there is an incredible amount of unity that we find in there as human beings. It's very beautiful. And in that unity and that sense of what we value, we begin to kind of develop the altar for the feminine. This is what matters. Do we treat people with respect? Is there kindness? Is there a willingness to learn how to listen? That's huge in our culture. We love to talk, but learning how to listen. Is there a sense of value for interiority? And I do find a big change in that, actually, as a culture. We seem to be learning about energy and we seem to be valuing who people are as people, not only what they have as possessions, but then you've got to be careful because the ego loves to jump on things. And so now there's all this thing around, you know, oh, it's cool to date people who are spiritual and people put that they're vegan on their dating profiles. And like, you've got to be careful that you don't allow the ego to grab hold and turn something that is supposed to be about inner essence and make it a commodity to be traded in our culture for sex or money or prestige association with your brand or whatever. Like you've got to really have integrity because it's very tricky. 
to navigate that. But the feminine will help you because the moment that stuff starts happening, she'll be like, no, oh, this doesn't feel authentic. This feels like something's been, you know, it's like the toxic masculine's come in and grabbed it and turned it into something. It's like, no, 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 this just needs to be something that feels truthful within myself. It doesn't have to be bought or sold. It doesn't have to have anything like that. It's just part of my nature and my essence and I live it. And then the need to kind of come out of the closet becomes more kind of organic. It just sort of happens and you're just being who you are. And people sense it. That's the amazing thing. And that, and that is something that changes. And they might not be people who are particularly on a spiritual path. Like I remember once I was at the gym and I hadn't been going to that gym very long and, and this trainer came up to me and, and she said, oh, what do, you, like, what do you do for work? And I said, oh, I never really know how to describe it. I kind of do spiritual things or whatever. And she goes, I can tell that about you. I'm thinking, I don't know how you could tell that when he's sweating nearly, you know, trying not to pass out on the Stairmaster, but somehow she could, <laughs> she could just tell. You know, I wasn't rocking up in my chakra wear for the gym. I was <laughs> very undercover, but people can feel that. And I think that's enough for us to know because the feminine is also very much about the power of presence and just who you are. And it's kind of the, the thing that we radiate without having to say anything. Alana, if you were to speak as the Divine Mother to our audience, what would she guide you to say? I love you. Things are crazy right now, but it's part of my plan. I have something beautiful and graceful in store for each and every one of you. And if you trust me, I'll lead you according to the steps that I've prescribed for you because I know they'll bring you the most benefit. And in that trust, you'll also enjoy the journey. You are more capable than what you realize and you are less alone <laughs> than what you fear. And there is nothing but love in my heart for you. And I am fiercely determined to protect and guide you into a full realization of that. Thank you, Alana Fairchild. It's been an honor. It's my pleasure. You're both utterly gorgeous. And so I can feel the energy of your listeners as well. Just such a beautiful community. And I have so much respect and love and encouragement for, for each one of you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Time and the Feminine podcast. It's so fun and such a privilege to have these conversations with these incredible guests. We ask that you follow them, support them, like their work, buy their books. And it's an even greater privilege and honor that you, sister, are listening. And so we want to give back to you. If this episode was meaningful, let us know by giving us a review and come join us in Circle. Every new moon, we have a donation-based circle. No woman is turned away. So come, sit, show your face, listen, be a part of the community, and let us dive deeper and do this work together in action, in practice, together in sisterhood. And for those of you who are already holding space and want to dive deeper into this art, you are invited to take Sacred Facilitator or any of our facilitation programs that we have throughout the year. So go to globalsisterhood.org to learn more or follow us at The Global Sisterhood on Instagram. Episodes drop every single Thursday and we have some really beautiful episodes in store. So until then, loves, much love and a big, big hug.